You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. I want to preach to you this morning a message that I've entitled, The Weatherman. The Weatherman. I have a morbid fear of tornadoes. Ever since I was a kid, my mom got addicted to that satanic movie, Twister. We watched it a billion times as a kid. And so any time I thought of bad weather, those images were what was conjured up in my mind. I literally have nightmares of driving down a road chased by a tornado. And then I'm frightened by stories of friends, even church family here, who've endured the hardship of such natural disasters. It is terrifying to me. I couldn't imagine going through such a thing. Thursday night, there was a storm that rolled over this area. In my little Scotland, she was in bed, and at the crack of lightning and thunder, she began to cry. And even at that young of an age, she cried because of fear. Severe weather is not a glitch in Mother Nature. We often like to term natural disasters as acts of God. But to be more precise biblically, humanity is the cause of all severe weather and natural disasters. And I'm not speaking in reference to climate change. I'm talking about in Genesis chapter 3. When in Adam, you and I disobeyed God, we committed sin, death entered the world, and with death entered a curse that introduced corruption and chaos into the created order. And if you fast forward from Genesis chapter 3 into Genesis chapter 6, we see that God sent a worldwide flood due to the widespread wickedness of humanity. Severe weather is a part of living in the fallout of our sin, corporately, collectively, as the human race. And when we see severe weather, we are noticing the curse from sinning against a holy creator. Listen, severe weather is not a part of the human experience. Severe weather is a part of the sinner's experience. So let me connect the dots for you. If you've ever seen or saw or touched severe weather, you know why? You're in a family of sinners. We're all sinners. The Bible also teaches 
that only God is able to calm the weather. Now we see Old Testament prophets turn on and turn off darkness, turn on and turn off rain, but they do that as they request it from God. Listen to what the Bible said, God's Word says, about God's relationship to the weather. This is Psalm 89.9. It says this, You rule the raging sea. When its waves surge, you still them. And listen to Psalm 107, verse 29. The psalmist announces, He stilled the storm to a whisper. And the waves of the sea were hushed. God, with just a word, can calm the weather. So what if a man could control the weather? What if a man could control the weather? In Matthew chapter 8, with just a word, just a single word, Jesus has cured the diseased. He's cast out demons, again, with just a word. And with a command, He ordered His disciples to follow Him with unreserved commitment. And here in verse 23, we find Jesus' disciples following Him into a boat that not only puts them into some measure of discomfort, but what it will ultimately lead them to. If you are following King Jesus, it will put you right in the middle of danger. I want to break this scripture down into three acts, three scenes, if you will. First is act one, the severe weather. Act 1, the severe weather. Let's look at verses 23 through 25. As he, referencing Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples, his true disciples, his genuine followers, followed him. They got into that boat with him. And suddenly, a violent storm arose on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus kept sleeping. So the disciples came and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We are going to die. Act 1. The severe weather. Now it's important to note that these disciples, we see them called in Matthew chapter 4, Peter, James, John, Andrew. Does anyone happen to know what their occupation is? They are fishermen. They are seasoned fishermen. They make their living off of catching fish in this sea. Yet, when this sudden severe storm came these experienced commercial fishermen turned for help from a poor carpenter. Can you hear it? Can you hear it above the blistering winds? Can you hear it above the beating rain? 
Can you hear it above the crashing waves? See, weather is never in mankind's control. So it's always a good idea to ask for help for the guy who seems to have it under control. Did this severe storm bother King Jesus? Not at all. He was so fast asleep The disciples in the midst of a sudden, severe storm had to go and wake Jesus up. Jesus! (laughs) I don't know if you know what's going on where we live, but we are about to die. Everybody in this boat, they called him Lord. They knew he was special. They knew he had some authority. They seen him cast out demons with the word. They seen him heal the sick with the word. And maybe, just maybe, this poor carpenter might do something some man's never done. Lord, save us. Act two. Act two. The two rebukes. The two rebukes. Look at verse 26. He said to them, do you mind if I use my sanctified imagination for a moment? It's clear, as you'll see in a moment, Jesus isn't saying this to them standing up. Uh, I think he's still lying down. So, I just, will you let me? He's just lying down. He said to them, "Uh, why are you afraid? (laughs) What was... Why is everybody so upset? <laughs> and then he rebuked them. You have little faith. Now, mind you, he's saying this while what's happening? The storm. The rain is still beating down. The waves are still crashing. And he, he looks at them all groggy eyed and goes, Little faith. And then he turns, he says he got up, and he rebuked the winds and the sea. There was a great calm. Now who knows how Jesus said it? He could have said it as beautiful as the choir sung it, peace, be still. He could have looked at him and said, stop it. I want you to catch a few things. Jesus gets up with the winds still blistering, the rain still beating, the waves still crashing, and he doesn't stop them first. He rebukes his own disciples. I mean, you know what this is like? I've seen this happen in our own family. (laughs) I've been a part of this, the recipient of this. Ever had a mama tell you not to do something because it would hurt you? Then you did it and got hurt, but before she can kiss your boo-boos, she spanked you? That's what Jesus is doing. Like, I know the storm is raging, but we got a bigger problem. Jesus was more disturbed 
by their lack of faith than the storm that rocked him to sleep. Jesus was more disturbed by their lack of faith than the storm that rocked him to sleep. I want you to know this, church. All those who claim to be a Christian, to be a true disciple, a genuine follower of King Jesus, Jesus does expect that you have faith in His care and control over your life. He does expect it. That even when the circumstances are not calm, He does expect you to have an inner calm and a peace in that storm. I know the circumstances are bad. Weather doesn't look good. I know I'm the only one that can handle this, but you should believe better of me. That even while I am supposedly over here, unmoved, supposedly untouched by your situation, your circumstances and scenario, I care for you. And this is all under my control. Even worse, and this is the part that is the most convicting to me, they had just enough faith to wake Jesus up to save them. But they did not have enough faith to remove fear about their tomorrow. Jesus, I know... It's probably possible for you to save us and get us out of the mess we are now so that we might live to see another day. But it was not enough faith in that moment to eliminate their fear. Let me press this in a little bit more. Here's how this shows up in your life and my life. You and I will hear the word of the Lord and it will regenerate. It will generate faith and repentance in us. We'll hear the gospel that Jesus Christ was perfect, died on the cross for our sins, to eliminate sin, to eradicate it from our life, and that God the Father raised him by the Spirit from the dead to immortality and incorruptibility, gave him a name above every name so that anyone who calls upon the name of the name of Jesus can be saved you'll hear that word preached to you and people will be convicted of their sins and they will trust in Jesus they will turn from their sin despise their sin and place their faith in Jesus now I want you to understand what they'll do they'll trust Jesus to forgive them and give them eternal life isn't that an amazing thing but when it comes to like our daily bread and provisions and family problems and messes. We think he just doesn't care. I want to make a confession to you. Somehow, I have trusted Jesus with my eternity, but sometimes I don't trust him with my tomorrow. We've all been there. And you know that because you're shaking your head going, I do trust him to save me. If I were to drop dead right now, I'd wake up in heaven. But I'm concerned about Monday morning. Isn't that amazing? And can I call it? Can I call it like Jesus says? Can we just confess something? We have little faith. Got just enough faith to call on Jesus to save us for eternity, but not enough faith to actually go, he cares for me 
and he actually is in control, and he's actually working all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I desperately want you to walk away here knowing, feeling, having great faith that Jesus cares for you and he is in control, even though it may not look like it. Jesus gets up and just silences it with a word. Act three. Act three. The shocking question. The shocking question. 27. Verse 27 says, The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? That's, a, that's not a, like, ooh, bubbly fun question. That's a scary question. What kind of man gets up, rebukes us for not having enough faith in him, and then just glances over at a storm and says, hush now. Even the winds and the sea obey him. Can I point out something in this text that just makes me a little happy? All throughout verses 23 through 26, how did the followers of Jesus refer to themselves? What are they called? Just look at the text. They were his disciples. I don't think God's word is random. Verse 27 says, the men. The men. That same word can also be translated from the Greek just human beings. It's pointing, about, pointing out the humanity of everybody in the boat. Everybody who was just human, everybody who was just a man, they were amazed. Let me tell you who the one person in that boat who was not amazed by what happened? King Jesus. You know what I, my sanctified imagination tells me what he went back to doing? He went back to sleep. Boys, wake me up when we get to the other side. This shows us something. Is Jesus just a man? What kind of man is this. The man in that boat was not just a man. Here's our answer. And this is what Peter, uh, excuse me, Matthew wants us to take away from this is that Jesus is the sovereign God. I want you to see this. Jesus didn't get on his knees and ask God if God would whisper or God would give the word and calm the sea. What did Jesus do on his own authority? He spoke to it and it was done. Matthew is wanting us to see this is the God-man. He is 100% man, but there's something else to him too. The God we read of in the Old Testament, hey, he showed up right here in our boat and he spoke to the winds and the waves. Jesus rules over and overrules all. 
He is sovereign even over nature. Severe weather, something that is completely out of our control, something that we are completely terrified of. Jesus looks at it and kind of goes, so what? The point of this story, here's what we like to do with texts like this. We like to spiritualize them and talk about the storms in our life. Y'all, I ain't talking about the storms in your life. I'm actually talking about real weather. Jesus has that kind of power. Real power to do something about the forces of nature. We even find out the Apostle Paul, one of the great Christian missionaries to ever walk the earth in 2 Corinthians 11.25, this brother said he got shipwrecked three times. Well, where was Jesus? Because this story isn't just about Jesus calming the storms in our life and everything we get to go on sailing without any discomfort or danger. Whoever preached that to you lied to you or they're just dumb. The only thing all of us have in common with this man is this. Lord, we all are perishing. There's one thing all of us have in common with the men in this boat. All of us are dying. And all of us are in need of more than just salvation from the winds and the waves, whether that's physical or figurative. We need somebody who can put a stop to death. And that's who this book and this passage is about. You and I have all received a sentence of death because of our own sin, not just the sin of a great-great-grandfather and, and Adam in the garden. Our own disobedience to this book, God's Word, has said that we will all perish and spend eternity in hell. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people. Why? Because all sinned. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's perfect, glorious standard of our lives. And unless we turn to Jesus to save us and remedy that for us, we will perish. Listen to God's word, Revelation 21, 8. But the cowards, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Anyone who's ever told a lie, a half-truth, or not the whole truth, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. There's another body of water, so to speak, that you and I should be more afraid of, and it's not the Sea of Galilee. And it's not the storms of our life. It's called the lake of fire. It's called the second death. And all of us are going down. And what I want you to see, just like those disciples who were seasoned, they thought they could handle it. None of us can fix this problem by ourselves. There is not a perfect one among us. No, not one. No one seeks God. No, not one. He has come and sought us. He has came to save us. He's in the boat with us. He identifies with us. Jesus 
loves you. He bled and died for you. God raised him from the dead to prove as proof of purchase of you. He wants to own you, to have a relationship with you. He bought you. He bought your forgiveness, and he bought you eternal life with his own life. And he is calling every person to despise their sin and call on him for salvation. He's not dead. He is alive. He sits at the right hand of God the Father, awaiting to hear our cry, Lord, save me. Will you turn from your sin? Will you follow him? Will you trust and obey him? And the minute that you call on him in faith and you commit your life to him, listen to King Jesus' words in John 5, 24. He says, truly, truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. He will save us when we call on him. I like what Russell Moore said. The worst thing, for those who've already trusted Jesus as their Savior, the worst thing that could ever happen to you has already happened. And the best thing that could ever happen to you has already happened. You are raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father in Jesus Christ. When you know Jesus, the worst thing that could ever happen, death, it's already happened. Jesus took it. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the best thing that could ever happen to you, to be seated at the heavenly places with Christ, to enjoy the kingdom of heaven for eternity, already happened. He's purchased it. He's already done it. Just call on him. Give your life to him. Now, what about the rest of us who've already done that, who are already saved? I want to leave you with this word. Feed your faith in Jesus. Feed your faith in Jesus. You may not need salvation today, but some of you go, I need more faith. I'm not worried about my eternal soul. I know Jesus will take care of me, but Josh, I'm not going to lie to you. I worry about tomorrow. And if Jesus were in this room right now, he would go, why are you afraid? (laughs) Why are you afraid? You know me. Can I encourage you with a couple of things? Bank on the promises of God. Please bank on the promises of God. Since our greatest threat, our greatest enemy is sin and death, and Jesus has already secured our victory over it. He has vanquished sin and death. It should change our perspective on the circumstances around us. We tend to put more weight into those circumstances than we really should. And I know these things. I'm not trying to say they're not painful or hurtful. But I just want you to remember, when they say you have cancer, when they say the business is bankrupt, when they say... They don't love you anymore. I want you to hear Jesus say, trust me, take heart, I've overcome the world. Trust me, take heart, I've overcome the world. 
in order for us to bank on the promises of God, you've got to feast on the Word of God. You can't bank on what you don't know. Do you see what happened here? Just from Matthew 1 to 8, and really technically from Matthew 4 to 8, Jesus had such a high expectation of his disciples. He's basically said this, you've heard me preach the Sermon on the Mount. You've seen me touch the leper and heal him. You see me heal a servant from a distance with a word. I touched Peter's mother-in-law. I cast out demons with the word. I've turned down the fake followers. And that's still not enough? See, we keep saying, well, if God would just do this, then I'll believe. At some point, his word has to be enough. And we have to feast on the word. I'll tell you right now, what builds up my faith is this book. And I, I get afraid, I get anxious, I get panicky. And one of the places I have found just restoration is in this book. The last thing I want to tell you that you can do to help feed your faith in Jesus is pray in dependence on the Holy Spirit for faith. The Holy Spirit regenerates faith with the Word. One of the products, one of the works, one of the evidences that the Holy Spirit is in our life, according to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, the fruit of the Spirit is faith, confidence, trust over the long haul. And some of us may need to get on our knees today, right now, and get on our knees saying, Jesus, I'm afraid. I know you're the sovereign Lord. You, can, you even control the forces of nature and I'm worried about Monday. Just voice your dependence upon him. And I believe Paul, inspired by Jesus, his words will come to mind. And a peace that passes understanding will garrison or guard your mind and your heart. I'm going to ask every head bowed and every eye closed. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.